Now, if you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we're in part four of a series called Words to Live By. And in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring the power of simple words and how God can use those words to guide us and shape us to become more like Jesus. And we've looked at really simple words. Anybody remember the first word? You, you remember, I'm not going to give the corny joke that I gave in week two, but y- yes, that's the word. The word was no. And in week two, we looked at what word? Yes. yes. Man, you guys are paying attention. You're going to pass the quiz this morning. Last week, we looked at a very hard word. Anybody remember that one? Help. help. We looked at the word help. And we realized last week that that's not a word of weakness. That's actually a word of strength and courage. When we raise our hand and admit to God and other people, I need help. Like I'm in a bad spot. I need someone to reach in and and help me in this situation. So hopefully this past week you've been able to admit maybe a spot where you need help. Now today we're going to talk about a word that we teach little kids when someone does something nice for them. So when someone does something nice for a little one and we're trying to teach him proper social skills, what do we say to little whoever when whoever does something? Say thanks or say thank you. And today we're going to learn how to leverage the power of the word thanks and the power of the words thank you. And we're going to do that through a story, actually a real story. It's not a made up story. It's not a parable, but it's a real encounter that Jesus had with a group of people found in Luke chapter 17. So if you want to turn over to Luke 17, you can do that. You can follow along with your Bible app or the words will come up on the screen as well. So um, this story talks about a time that Jesus was taking his disciples. He was on his way to a journey to Jerusalem, which was in the south part of Israel. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. So starting in verse 11, It says, as Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Let me just pause here for a minute and explain um, how Israel is set up and the significance of this border. So I want you to think uh, in terms of counties. So think about our county. We live in Flagler County. What's the county north of us? St. John's County, the county south of us? Volusia County. So if you think about those three counties, that is kind of like how Israel is laid out. There are three regions. There's the region of Galilee in the north. And that's the region where Jesus started his ministry, invited his disciples to come follow him. Then we have the region in the middle is known as Samaria. And then we have the region in the south known as Judea. And that's where Jerusalem was. So Jesus often would take his disciples from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Now, the thing about the border between uh, these two regions, Galilee and Samaria, is that most Jews did not want to travel through Samaria. And the reason was it was full of Samaritans. And a Samaritan was the product of one Jewish person, parent, who marries and has children with someone who is not Jewish. And so for the Jews, they looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds. And they would say, listen, we don't want to have anything to do with you. You're not following God's ways. Like you married outside of our culture. Like that's not okay. And there are some Jews that would actually travel around Samaria to get down to Judea. So that's the context. And what's really cool about Jesus is that 
there is no place Jesus is afraid to go. There's no group of people that Jesus is afraid to reach out to, and he models that for us. He takes his disciples there, and he takes us there as well. So we're on this journey uh, through Samaria. Verse 12 says, as Jesus entered a village there, and that would have been a big no-no for most Jews. Like, you don't enter a village That's near Samaria. But as Jesus entered the village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And we talked a little bit about leprosy last week. And we were looking at the story of Naaman in the Old Testament with Elisha. And we learned that leprosy is a very contagious disease. It can lead to disfigurement. It can lead to death. And if you have this disease, you're often excluded from the community. You had to live outside of your community. You couldn't live at your home, couldn't live around your family, your friends. You had to live in what were known as leper colonies. And the reason was nobody else wanted to get that that sickness. Nobody else wanted to get that disease. And so as you lived outside of that, you could not interact with the people that you know and love. And that would be your fate unless you were healed of that disease. And so we have these 10 lepers on the outside of this community shouting to Jesus, thinking he's the only one. So they're in a desperate spot, kind of like we looked at last week where Naaman was in a desperate spot. And we learned that when we're in a desperate spot, often we'll do things that we may not normally do. And so they're they're in a desperate spot and they reach out to Jesus for help. Verse 14 says, Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, in our day and age, I'm thinking we would say something different, like go see a doctor, like not go see a priest or or go see a pastor. But in Jesus' day, it was the priest who had the assignment of declaring somebody clean or unclean. So once a priest declared, you have leprosy, you are unclean, you had to leave the community. Once that priest declared, if you came back and if you were, were healed and, and they had a chance to observe your body then they declared you clean, then you could come back home. You could come back into your community, back into your fa- with your family and friends, go back to work. There are so many things that happen uh, if a priest was able to declare you clean. So Jesus says, go to see the priest. But the problem was they still had leprosy. These guys still had leprosy. As they look down at their bodies, they still see disease. They don't see healing. They see death, not life. And Jesus says, go see the priests. Now, I don't know why Jesus sometimes does this with with some people. There are some moments Jesus heals people instantly. And then there are other moments where he says something like this, where he says, go see the priest. And it's similar to what we saw last week with Elisha and Naaman. So Elisha told Naaman, go into the Jordan River, dip in the Jordan River seven times. Why seven? Could have been six, could have been four. We're we're not sure, but, but there was something for Naaman in that that he needed to do through obedience. And he needed to do that seven times. And so Jesus, in this moment, tells these guys, you need to go see the priests. And they go off to see the priests. Now, one thing that that stands out to me here from this story is that these guys believed that they were going to be healed before they were healed. They, They believed that. They went to see the priests when they still had leprosy. Now, here's where we have to be careful because there are some pastors or some churches, some groups that, that teach that receiving 
or believing is the key to receiving. That if you don't believe, you're not going to receive. And if you're not receiving, then apparently something was wrong with you because you weren't believing enough. Now, I believe that that can be true in, in some cases, but not in all cases. And here's an example. If I spent the rest of my life believing that God was going to give me a full head of hair, I think I'd be spending a whole lot of time believing without receiving. Now, could God give me a full head of hair? Absolutely. Do I want it? No. You guys spend way too much time on hair products and standing in front of the mirror making sure your hair's right, and I don't have to worry about that. But I think there are some things that that we're not going to receive even if we spend all of our time trying to believe, trying to believe, trying to believe. But at the same time, this is going to sound like I'm talking in circles, at the same time, I think there are things that we don't receive because we don't believe. So let me ask you some questions. Do you believe that God can heal instantly? A few of you do. Do you believe that God can restore a broken marriage? Yeah. Do you believe that God can heal somebody of an addiction that they have that's kind of tearing them and and their lives and people that they love, tearing their lives apart? Do you believe that God can do that? Yes. So I think we should live as if we believe that God can do that. So if we really believe that, I think we should live as if we believe that God can do that, that God can heal, that that God can restore, that God can help somebody overcome an addiction in a moment. But here's the focus of that. Our focus is on what God can do, not what we can do. Our focus should always be on what God can do, not what we can do. And here's where that's tied to thankfulness. If my focus is on my level of belief, then guess who gets the credit if I get the healing or whatever I'm looking for in that moment? I do. Wow, I had enough faith. Look what I did. Look what I was able to accomplish. But if our focus is on God and what God can do, our thankfulness is God-centered, is where it should always be. should always be God-centered. So this morning, are you focused on what God can do? Is your hope in him or is your focus on you and your level of belief or not? Our level of belief should always be focused on what God can do. All right, so these guys run off to see the priest before they're healed. Verse 14 says, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, we're not sure what exactly this means. We're not sure if they had this encounter, they're calling out to Jesus, he says, go see the priest, they turn and are healed, or if they turn and they walk into the community and people are going, wait a minute, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here, it's against the law, get out, or they make it through the crowd and they get all the way up to the priest's front door, we're not sure, but as they went, they were healed. There's a level of obedience that happens here. Verse 15 says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And Luke, the author of this story, of this real encounter, says he was a Samaritan. So Luke points out, Like, hey, this is probably one of the least likely people to come and be thankful in this kind of scenario. 
And Jesus noticed that. So verse 17 says, Jesus actually asks a question and he asks, didn't I heal 10 men? Like, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. So another thing that stands out to me here from this story is that sometimes the people who should be the most thankful are sometimes the least thankful. And sometimes the people we think, well, they'll probably be the least thankful. Sometimes they are the most thankful. And the reality is Jesus was not surprised that the Samaritan came back. He was surprised that the nine Jewish lepers did not come back. And he took notice of that. And I assume that these guys were thankful. I assume, you know, I just make this assumption. I could be wrong in this assumption, but they've, they've lived outside of their community. They get this healing. They're super excited. They can go back, see their family. They can go back into their homes. They can go back to work in. They can do all these things that they haven't been able to do. So I, there's a little assumption on my part that they were thankful, but what Jesus noticed was they did not express their thanks. So apparently, expressing thanks is a big deal to God. So just let that sink in for just a moment. Expressing thanks is a big deal to God. It's such a big deal that we have a Bible story that records Jesus' shock when a group of fellow Jewish people did not come back to express thanks. So for you and I, the question today is, are you appropriately expressing thanks for what God and other people are doing in your life? So I'll walk through some scenarios that apply to most of us. Are you appropriately expressing thanks at work? Are you appropriately expressing thanks that you have a job? Are you appropriately expressing thanks to maybe your boss or uh, maybe an employee or coworker? Or are you one of those supervisors or one of those bosses that think that you express thanks to your employees twice a month on the 1st and the 15th or every two weeks when they get a paycheck? Hey, that's their thanks. Like they get paid to do what they do. I think Jesus would, would say, I, I challenge you to express thanks in a, a different way than that. Find other ways to express deep gratitude for what people around you are doing to advance what your organization is doing. Um, how are you doing at expressing thanks just out in our community? Something that many of us may do today or you may do this week is you might actually go out to lunch and uh, you might be served today by someone, a waiter or waitress. And do you appropriately express thanks to them? I've got a few folks that I know they are waiters and waitresses, and one of the things they tell me is the day that they hate to work the most is Sunday lunch because of the church crowd. Church crowds aren't all that great at tipping. They're pretty stingy. One of the things that some church crowds enjoy doing is leaving these nice little um, tracks that tell you how to meet Jesus. And then um, don't thank people for the service that they've done and actually pay them for the job that they've done to, to serve us. So my encouragement to all of us is if you go out today and somebody serves you well, 
tip them well. If you're wearing an epic t-shirt and you don't want to do that, flip your t-shirt inside out. So I think that as we go out in the community and people understand that we're followers of Jesus, like we should thank other people for what they do. But how about at home? How are you doing at expressing thanks to people that are in your house? Like, I don't know if that's a spouse or a parent or a child, sibling. How are you doing at expressing thanks there? And sometimes we think, oh, they know how I feel. Do they? Really? When was the last time you expressed specific thanks for what someone in your home does for you. So today, who might you need to thank? And how might you need to thank them? While I was working on this message, it was just so cool how, how God does this stuff. So I'm working on this message and praying through where to go and where, how God wants us to unfold this. And while I'm working, an email comes in. And I don't normally answer my emails right away, but I looked at that email, somebody snickered and, yeah, yeah, that's me. So uh, I actually paused and I read this email. And it was a guy in our church family expressed thanks for something. We'd had a conversation about kind of direction for his life and he was just looking for wisdom and I gave him like my two cents, like what I have to offer in that. And he expressed thanks and listened to some of what he said. He said, I, don't, I do not want to look back in 50 years and see that I was successful in serving myself. I want to look back and see that I was successful in serving God and others. And what does this mean for my future? I'm still unsure. I'm open to whatever God calls me to do. What I do know is that whatever comes next, I do not want to be in it for myself. I want to be in it for serving God and others. I'm ready to say yes to accept any challenge God might have for me. And I know as long as I am faithful, he will lead me to what is next. I also want to thank you for everything you do. Epic has changed my life through things like serving and international missions and small group environments. Epic to me is not just a place to meet God, but an action to serve and love others through God. I'm so proud to be part of such a great family. So here I am working on a message of thankfulness. And God interrupts my prep with someone who's expressing thankfulness. And I got to tell you, that came at such a great time for me because there are moments that I wonder, does what we do matter? Like, you know, all that we do, all the effort that we all as a church family come in together trying to reach our community for Christ and working together to disciple people, to grow in their relationship with God, does it matter? This guy reminded me. It matters. So maybe that encouragement that you're going to give someone else, that thanks that you're going to share with somebody else, just might come at the right time that they need to know. Does this matter? What I do? Does anybody recognize? Does anybody pay attention? So maybe you need to write a thank you note today. Maybe you need to send an email. Maybe you need to just walk up to somebody and talk to them directly before you leave. Or maybe you need to pick up the, the phone and call somebody and express deep thanks to them for what they have done in your life. Now, that's thankfulness 101. We're about to step into thankfulness 401. Um, we're going to skip a couple of steps. So I encourage you, find uh, the seatbelt in your seat and click it on, okay? Because it's about to, to be a bumpy ride here. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this in verse 16. He says, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Hmm. Well, that's a struggle for me sometimes. Verse 17, never stop praying. I struggle with that sometimes too. Then verse 18, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So Paul says, thankfulness is God's will for us if you're a Christ follower. Now, if I were to ask you, how many of you have ever wondered what God's will is? And if you want to know what God's will is for your life, I think many people would raise their hand. But here we have a clear directive from God. This is my will for you, being thankful. Not just being thankful, but being thankful in all circumstances. And here's where I like to argue with Paul. So as I read some of Paul's letters, I, like I argue with him sometimes and say something like this, like, you got to be kidding me, Paul. Like nobody can be thankful in all circumstances. That's not possible. I don't know what kind of day and age you lived in, but we live in a really tough day and age. It's tough to, to be alive today. And I don't know a whole lot of people when they lose their job. I don't know a whole lot of folks that are just super thankful for that. I got laid off today. It's going to be a great weekend. I don't know anybody when their spouse walks in and says, I want out. Like, I don't want to be in this anymore. I don't know anybody thankful in that spot. I don't know anybody thankful when they walk in to see a doctor and a doctor gives them bad, a bad medical report. I don't know a whole lot of folks that are like super thankful. So Paul, I don't know what kind of world you live in, but it, is it really possible for us to experience thankfulness in the midst of that? And I think Paul would answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 8, listen to what he says. And he's talking about all that he's been through as a follower of Jesus. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles. Sometimes we feel that way, don't you? Like, doesn't life feel that way sometimes? Like everywhere I turn, there's trouble. And Paul says, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to, continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. And we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be, what's the next two words? Great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. So Paul, are you saying it's possible for us to be thankful in the midst of something horrible? Paul says, yes. My next question is, how? How is it possible? Paul continues. He says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. So here's the secret. We don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. 
For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So Paul says the, the secret to learning to be thankful in all circumstances is about focus. It's about changing our focus from our troubles right now to the God who stands beyond any trouble that we could ever have and what will last forever. So Paul says it's possible for us to be thankful in the midst of horrible situations. Paul's not the only one who says that, though. I want you to listen to what Jesus says about this, and this is something many of us are familiar. If you celebrate communion, um, I'm gonna read through a passage out of 1 Corinthians that we usually use when we're celebrating communion, but I want you to notice something that Jesus does while he knows he's about to die. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So again, the reality is a few short moments before Jesus' death, he pauses and he thanks God. Jesus actually thanked God for his death because he knew his death would bring great thanksgiving to the world. I'm curious, anybody thankful for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection this morning? It's because of that we can have eternal life. So we should be incredibly grateful, but that's a level of thankfulness I don't know that we'll reach here. But Paul says it's possible for us to experience thankfulness in those deep uh, struggles of life, and Jesus says it's possible, and I modeled that for you. So what I want us to do this morning is, uh, kind of as we're wrapping up here, is I want us to practice expressing thanks to God together. So just kind of an out loud moment, just an out loud opportunity for us to just say, hey, I am thankful for this. So what are you incredibly thankful or grateful that God has done for you? Let's just share that out loud together. Thankful for the nine people in Guatemala who received Jesus. That's awesome, Billy. Thank you. Somebody said that you woke up today. Life is a great gift grateful for that life. What was that? Having kids. kids. Like right now, I'm grateful for children's ministry that they can be in. (laughs) It's kind of a joke, a little bit of fun. I've got four kids. I'm thankful for all my kids. Just a little bit of a, you know, humor. Anybody else? What are you thankful to God for? Family. Love and support a family. Epic. Yeah, our church family. You know, there are a whole bunch of people that move here from somewhere else and they don't have family here. And what I hope you experience when you come here is that Epic can become your church family. And so family and, and our church family is a great thing to be thankful for. What else? My wife when she's not around. <laughs> oh, Bob, man, ouch. So uh, I'll be available for a counseling appointment later this week if you want to come see me. If you're alive, then that'll be great. <laughs> job? Yep. Job, a car, transportation. 
Home? There you go. There, there you go. There you go. All right. So thanks for uh, practicing that. Like we need to learn how to express thanks to others and to God on a regular basis. Here's one of the things that I do um, periodically throughout the year. I'll, I'll just spend some time praying through the alphabet. And this might sound weird. But it's it's kind of goofy. But I've done it a number of times, and it's been helpful. It actually guides me in my prayer and, and how to learn to be thankful to God for specific things. So, for example, you just pray through every letter of the alphabet, and when you get to that letter, you just thank God for something that that letter represents. So I'll pray something like this. God, I thank you that you are almighty. You can step into any situation, do whatever you want. At any point, you are almighty God. Thank you for that. God, I thank you for beauty. So we look around the world, there's so much beauty in the world, and I'm so grateful for that. God, I thank you for creation, that you've created this little speck of nothing called the earth and this vastness of the universe, and everything we need for life is right here. We can survive because you make it possible. God, thank you for creation. And as you're praying through that, you'll find yourself praying for things like quilts <laughs> and xylophones and zebras when you get to those weird letters because some of those letters you're like what do I be thankful for here I don't know x-rays zebras I don't know it's a great thing to practice um, on a periodic basis so I encourage you to practice that this week Uh, on a CD I'll have to figure out how to make that possible Um, as we close we're going to practice another way to be thankful And again, this is the 401 kind of stuff that we're talking about in thankfulness. And our worship team is actually going to come out and uh, get ready for that. So let me tell you uh, what we're going to do in closing. We're going to sing a song called It Is Well With My Soul. Actually, we're going to sing a a remake of that song. Anybody familiar with that original song, It Is Well With My Soul? A number of folks. So there's there's a story behind that song. It's a powerful story. Uh, It was written by a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford, and it was written in 1872. Um, Horatio was a wealthy lawyer in the Chicago area. He was married to Anna. They have five kids, one son and four daughters. And his son died of scarlet fever at the age of two. Then in 1871, the great... Uh, fires of Chicago rolled through that area and destroyed almost all of his investments. So he potentially lost almost everything he had and decided uh, they were going to kind of get away from everything and then plan a trip for his wife and his uh, kids to go to England. And at the last minute, he had to stay home and deal with some business stuff, but told his family he'll, he'll be on the next boat. Well, their ship collided with another ship and sank in 12 minutes. His four daughters died. His wife was was rescued alone. And she sent a telegram to him saying, saved alone. So he got in a ship, went over to see his wife in England. And when he got to the spot where their ship had gone down, where his four daughters had died, he penned the words to this hymn called, It Is Well With My Soul. And in that moment of deep sorrow, he said, God, thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you're going to do in the midst of this. 
So he changed his focus from his current troubles to his God who sits above every trouble that he could ever have. This morning, for some of you, you're in that spot of trouble. You're feeling the waves of life crash against your life right now, and you're working hard to keep your ship upright and your course headed straight ahead of you. And you're wondering if, if it's really possible to do that. And you're wondering, how in the world do I be thankful in the midst of this? Well, Paul told us it's possible. Jesus told us it's possible. And through this song, Horatio is telling us it's possible. So what I hope that you'll do this morning is, while our, our team sings this, that you'll sing. And maybe you'll sing in a different way. Maybe your song is a prayer this morning of thanks to God, where you can find a new part of who you are and say, it is well with my soul. And other people around you say, like, how in the world could you say it's well? Say it's well with my soul because of who my God is. So would you stand with me? And our worship team is going to lead us, and then I'm going to close us out in prayer after that. God, may we be people who express thanks in all circumstances. Lord, no matter what's happening in our lives, if you step in and do something supernatural, great, a healing or fix a broken relationship or a financial issue that's spinning out of control, Lord, may we be people who say thanks in those moments. And Lord, may we be people who say thanks in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle. May we be people like Paul and Jesus who fix our gaze on things that will last forever and take our eyes off the troubles that we may currently see and stay focused on you and who you are and always be grateful and thankful for what you are doing, what you have done, and what you will do. In Jesus' powerful name, we say amen. Thanks for being here today, everybody. I hope you have a great week of expressing thanks to others. Have a good week.